Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. This is Market View with me, Michelle Martin. Ryan Wong, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing today? Did you use your phone between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m.? Um, yes, that is when usually a kid is asleep and that is when I get my me time to just catch uh, up on stuff. So you wouldn't be thrilled if you were in China. They're floating these proposals to limit digital life, especially for young ones. Um, people under eight, maybe just get 40 minutes and then a curfew from 10pm. What do you think of that? Yeah, if you're young, going to school, mm. what business do you have staying up so late on your phone? You should be asleep <laughs> getting ready for school. <laughs> But yeah, it is a reflection of how much these kids are starting to get in terms of screen time. And But I also have the caveat that, no, mm. it's not just how much time you have, it's what you do with the time on your phone. Sometimes you're on social media, sometimes you're watching YouTube videos. And in the arena of YouTube videos, there are so many useful videos to those that really... You shouldn't be watching. Sure, sure. And it's really hard these days um, to intervene so deeply into one's digital life, I think, because for many of us, we use the phone as almost an alarm clock. It's always by, by the bed. Yeah, you know? charging. Check for time. Sometimes I forget to charge and yeah, mm. you know the rest of the story. All right, let's start this morning, everybody, on our earnings trek and search for market insights with companies from two industries, banking and semiconductors. I want to start right here in Singapore, where one of the region's biggest banks, DBS, is reporting record profits. It netted $2.7 billion during the second quarter of this year, and that is nearly 50% higher compared to a year earlier. So what is powering DBS's stellar performance right? Yeah, it's another solid quarter for DBS. And you mentioned record performance, record performance for the second quarter and first half total income. And you've got net profit and ROE at new highs. So a couple of things powering it. You've got commercial book loans. Um, that is being powered by higher interest rates, broad-based growth in non-interest income. So you've got a couple of things just looking quite good for DBS in terms of momentum. If you look at the NIMS and that interest margin, that is how you gauge how profitable the bank is. That margin is up to 2.16% in the quarter from 1.58% a year earlier. So it's benefiting from these rising rates we've been seeing in the past few quarters. That is continuing to fuel banks like DBS, uh, so much so it has declared a dividend of 48 cents per share, which is a reflection of how much growth it's pricing in into its um, expectations. A lot of money flowing through DBS. DBS will pay shareholders an interim dividend of 48 cents a share. That is six cents higher than before. DBS shares have been rallying of late as well. In fact, they're up about eight and a half percent over the past month. DBS is the second of Singapore's three listed banks to report earnings. UOB, you'll remember, opened its books last week. So from what we know, Ryan, what is the overall picture that we're seeing? So far of our financial sector. Yeah, there are a couple of trends playing out here. One is fee income is going up and for DBS in the latest quarter is up 7%, which makes it its first on-year increase in six quarters and is getting a boost from wealth management. And here is the interesting one, cards. Um, cards is interesting because it's a reflection of how much people are spending, a reflection of their moods and 
travel patterns as well. As people travel more, especially going overseas, they typically use credit cards. And I think this is being recognized by DBS and also by UOB to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, you might remember Taylor Swift, the promotion, if you've got a UOB credit card, you can get pre-sales going on. So they've got that engine of growth going for them. Cards is one segment that will be interesting to watch for momentum in the coming quarters. Another interesting fact or trend, of course, is the NIMS. Margins are still powering some of these profits. Uh, one more area I'm looking at closely is expenses. DBS is seeing expenses rise 16% from mainly higher staff costs. So this is going to be one thing to watch out for. Uh, as you know, a lot of these cost pressures are coming through for many companies and banks are also starting to feel it. Um, so one of the not so bright spots to keep an eye on. And then there is also macroeconomic uncertainty in terms of headwinds for the rest of the year. Uh, the bank saying it has a proven ability to capture business opportunity um, and, you know, those, those great reserves and strong capital ratios. But we'll have to see when it comes to capturing those business opportunities, what the macro sort of uh, landscape allows for. All right. At the top of the show, and in fact, we'll have a fuller picture of the local banking sector tomorrow. Uh, that's when OCBC will report its earnings. All right, right at the start of this, I promised to look at two industries, banking and semiconductors. On the semiconductor front, two major companies are reporting earnings this morning, both are based in California, Qualcomm and AMD. So Qualcomm focuses on mobile technologies, AMD service data centers and computer processes. I have to say neither company's earnings are looking very good. AMD's profits fell 19% during the second quarter of the year. Qualcomm says its net income dropped by more than 50%. So the question is, why are these companies struggling? Yeah, you might imagine with all the talk about AI, chips would be the flavor of the year. Hmm. But I guess it's a fact of expectations as well. So the other part about it is AI will take some time for these um, things to be monetized, uh, that trend to be monetized. Let's get into the numbers. And AMD flagged a weaker PC market. That was a drag on its second quarter revenue, which was down 54%. Data center the business was down 11% because of soft enterprise demand. So that's the picture for AMD. Look at Qualcomm. It's a picture of also a slump in demand and Qualcomm's filling it in the devices space, smartphones especially. So Qualcomm chips typically used in these high-end and low-end phones and people are just not buying or upgrading as much as before. So they are feeling it. For example, handset chip sales are down 25% year-on-year. So that kind of gives you an idea of um, how much people are cutting back on. Yeah, particularly when it comes to demand in China. That's a key problem for Qualcomm because that is their biggest market for phones and the demand just hasn't returned to projected levels. AMD shares have been struggling a bit in recent weeks, but they've had a stellar year, up nearly 70% since January. Qualcomm stock gains a bit more modest, but still in double digits, up 17% year to date for Qualcomm. So what is the picture looking like going forward for this sector? A bit hard to predict, but what do you think? Yeah, it doesn't look super optimistic. You have, um, looking at the numbers at least, AMD projecting $5.7 billion in sales for the next quarter, the third quarter. Uh, that is under analyst expectations of $5.81 And for Qualcomm, they are expecting 
a bit of a slowdown as well. And you pointed out China, that is going to be part of the story there. And they are expecting growth to slow down in the third quarter, maybe picking up in the holiday season. So that's the factor to keep an eye on for a pickup, perhaps, as we head into the Christmas uh, shopping season. Are people going to buy more devices? So the next quarter could be the turning point for these chip makers. Will Christmas be a boost? Let's zoom out, take a look at the broader markets now. Wall Street suffered its worst tumble overnight in months. The Nasdaq fell more than 2%. The Dow and S&P 500 both dropped 1% or more. This is the second straight day of losses for the S&P 500 after it hit a 16-month high last week. So what is going on? Is the bubble bursting? <laughs> Perhaps it is, but only time will tell. But what we can tell is there seems to be at least a knee-jerk reaction going by the numbers. And of course, the biggest loser overnight, tech stocks, a sign that jitters are coming back, the risk-off sentiment is resurfacing. And this follows the downgrade by Fitch ratings of the US long-term credit rating from mm. the top-notch AAA to the second notch, double A plus. So that is just leaving some uncertainty in the air. Even though some people are saying it's just cosmetic, it's just a black mark, the US is still pretty good in terms of its credit rating. It's just just one notch down. Overall, people are trying to figure out what's going to happen. And I guess they are selling first and asking questions later and really reflected in the sell-off overnight. Um, and if you look at what's playing out across Asia, that seems to be the case as well. So a bit of um, profit-taking coming into the equation as well. We had a pretty solid July. So any reason to take money off the table, there you have it. There you have it. Just on that point of Fitch, uh, the ratings agency cutting the sovereign debt rating of the US government yesterday. Prices were mixed in the debt markets. Most analysts seem to be saying, though, that they do not expect Fitch's move to have a major impact on stocks or bonds. So we'll keep an eye out on that sentiment for sure, whether that plays out. All right, I want to bring the conversation to Singapore now and to Sabana Reit, which is set to hold a contentious EGM on Monday. Investors are being to ask, asked to vote on resolutions tabled by activist investor Quartz Management that they would give Sabana Reed's current managers the boot and internalize management instead. Now, we've talked on this show before about this. Quartz arguing there is conflict of interest because the same company owns the managers of two competing REITs, Sabana and ESR Logos REIT. Well, with the date of that EGM drawing closer, the Securities Investors Association of Singapore, CS, has questions for people on both sides of the debate. Let's bring you up to speed. Ryan, what is CS asking the ESR group? Okay, have I mentioned that this story gives me a headache? It, goes, it keeps going back and forth. Have and a Panadol here. It's got go. two sentences. So the latest episode is Sias coming into the chat group and saying, hey guys, please answer these questions. And of course, Sias represents the interests of shareholders. So when they ask questions, you have to take notice because they are usually pretty good questions and help to shed some light on what's going on. So Sias is asking ESR group, hey, how are you going to respond to the um, discussion that there are expectations that ESR Group is interested in keeping the status quo and ensuring that 
Sabana Reed does not become a competitor to ESR logo somehow. So we've got that status quo question. Um, that has been a point of criticism as well, that the Reed doesn't want to shake things up. Another question is how ESR group, why does not support the internalization of a Reed manager? As well as a question on ESR, ESR group asking them to outline how they are actually adding value to Sabana Reed because of some of the views that they are not actually doing much to add value. So you've got these questions for ESR Group and I think shareholders are also quite curious to figure out if they have any value proposition to back up the stand that you know, we don't need any changes, things are fine as they are. So that's what CS is asking uh, ESR. What is it questioning uh, of Quartz Group? Okay, Quartz are the guys trying to make changes, trying to get the uh, manager internalized, which they have been saying is going to mean less conflict of interest, it's going to mean more uh, interest being aligned, and that will make it more efficient. So a couple of questions Sias is asking Quartz, including how they are going to support Sabana Reed if it is internalized. Will they be willing to provide any financial support? Because underlying that transition is a lot of operational details. It's not just a matter of saying it. You've got to find the people. You've got to get the money to hire the people. So all that will come with some strings attached. You know, how are you going to execute this plan if it does happen? Mm. Which is a fair question. No? It's good to have in theory, but how are you going to execute the idea is basically what they are asking. And also, there's this question about why unit holders should not be concerned about Sabanari having an estimated $300 million in unsecured loans, despite Ernst & Young highlighting it as a material uncertainty. Also, another question about the risks if Sabanari um, management fails to fulfill the obligations, if shareholders vote for that resolution to remove them. What's going to happen in the worst case scenario, basically? And also they flag that because internalizing a REIT manager in Singapore is neither tested nor proven. What is the worst case scenario as well? So that is something they put on the table. Fair questions to ask for both sides. Untested, unproven, how could this play out, this idea of internalizing management? Uh, questions going to courts. Based on, on the slew of questions, do you see CS leaning towards any particular side yet? Mm, they are leaning towards the shareholders side. As we expect them to. <laughs> yeah. But more and more people are taking sides in this debate, including two companies that are proxy advisors for ESRE, namely Glass Lewis and Institutional Shareholder Services. Now, are they in agreement? Okay, so yes and no. Both of them are in agreement that they do not want an internalized REIT manager. So Glass Lewis says they don't want it, but ISS also says that. But here's the twist. They want to remove the current REIT manager. And it's pretty much what we discussed, mm. that there are potential um, inefficiencies, at least, or even conflicts of interest. So why not just get around all these issues and find a new manager? And you pointed this out earlier. ESR Group is the sponsor for two REITs. ESR Logos Read and Sabana Read, both of them are in the same sector. They have overlapping investment mandates. Potentially, 
they can be competing with each other potentially. So why not just make a clean break and find someone new? Well, the headache of yours is just passed over to me, Ryan. Very well done in terms of the roundup. Uh, it, it is a complicated issue. We're going to see how this all plays out next week when Sabana Reed holds its extraordinary general meeting on Monday. Once again, there will be two votes, one to remove the current managers and another to internalize the Reed's management. All right, it is time for corporate news and we do it up or down style where we open our big heavy books every day and see where these companies are moving. Singtel, up or down? All right, Singtel is an up. Good news for Singtel (laughs) as it gets a good ranking for corporate governance. In fact, it's claimed or reclaimed top spot in a recent ranking by the Singapore Governance and Transparency Index. Well done, Singtel. I like it when Ryan and I get on the seesaw and he's up and I'm down. So Singtel hit a two-month low yesterday, dropping nearly 7% to $2.46 a share. The telco went ex-dividend yesterday. On top of that, analysts at Citi are warning about weakness in one of Singtel's investments, namely the Indonesian telco, Telkomsel. Singtel has a 30% stake in Telkomsel, whose profits are down. So, it's a down for me, for Singtel, I hope we've given you sort of the balanced view here. A totally different industry now. Let's look at Ferrari. All right, Ferrari is a down for me. And this is with its outlook looking a bit short for at least investors. So even though it's been hiking prices and being able to price on some of those price hikes, it does look like it is slowing down in terms of the growth, at least for Ferrari. So it seems like they are struggling to impress investors. Mm. You know, a lot of our views depend on our time frames, and we differ here as well, Ryan. So Ferrari's ticker symbol is uh, race, as you would expect, R-A-C-E. And I think that's a good choice. Its stock is up 45% since the start of the year. And Ferrari says it has a very strong order book. So I'll give Ferrari an up today. What about Capitaland Ascot Trust? All right, I am going with... Up And this is with Kaplan Escort Trust proposing to acquire three lodging assets for around half a billion dollars in the UK, Ireland and Indonesia. So more revenue streams, I suppose. Yeah, today seems to be Michelle and Ryan look at the glass half empty, half full. Uh, I think looking at those acquisitions, so Capital and Ascot Trust is preparing to spend more than half a billion dollars to buy those properties, as you heard in London, uh, Dublin and Jakarta. But it plans to hit the equity markets for most of the money that it needs for those investments. The company is planning to raise 300 million. I think expanding is good, but hitting the markets mm-hmm. up for new funds, maybe not as much because it could dilute existing investors. So I'm I'm on the fence, but I'm going to give Capital and Ascot Trust a down this morning. What about OUE? All right. I'm looking up for OUE, and this is around news for the Crown Plaza Changi Airport Hotel. So an upgrade is underway. They're going to be spending $22 million and on new rooms and facilities at Crown Plaza. So that's going to make it spanking new and attract more people, hopefully. I think that's a good idea. I used to head to Crown Plaza at Changi for weekend buffets. So I think this renovation will be good. $22 yeah. million. A new Italian restaurant ah. called Allora will replace the current eatery Azure. So okay. look forward to that one. That sounds good. Have you, have you been to the Crown Plaza in a while? Haven't had a chance to go. So yeah. how is the experience like? 
I'm a buffet girl. So as long as you, you know, put a lot of food in front of me, I'm good. Um, but I think it did feel like it needed an upgrade. Ah, okay, last okay. Last time so I was there, which was a couple of years hope back. Hope it impresses you. Me too. <laughs> I'll give OUE an up for on the back of that news. Our last word of today, this reminds me of a segment that I, a show that I put together called Women of Worth. Wow, it was called the Wow Club. A market watch is running a headline and that made me go wow. It says there's a new star of the U.S. economy this summer and it's women. It points to three female icons, Taylor Swift, Beyonce and Barbie that it says are unleashing consumer spending. So I'm still looking for Taylor Swift tickets, by the way. Anybody have some? You can throw them my way. So you know how hard it's been to get hands on those tickets and UOB came out and cards went up. Cards, people signing up for new cards. And then there's enthusiasm over the new Barbie movie. It grows 775 million US dollars. And that, by the way, is the best fortnight ever for a female directed movie. And do you know, Sweden and the UK have blamed Beyonce for inflation. <laughs> they have, they have. <laughs> Fans are fueling a rise in hotel prices, amongst other things. Wow. So what do you make of this in your family? Who is fueling the economy, you or your wife? Yeah, I suppose it's equal, at least in my household. But I can imagine some people saying, hey, women are spending more on stuff. Everything from Birkins to Taylor Swift tickets to catching the movies. I guess there is an argument there that they are typically seen as shoppers. So maybe it has some um, validity behind those points. I what should do you ask think? whether your little girl is the one influencing decisions at home, the big buys as well. Yeah, I suppose parents would be another group. Yeah, Whatever the kid yeah, says, yeah. I want typically the parents will get. So I yeah. think that's another group you have to factor in. I, I did come across a study uh, some years back that said actually the, the, the real influences when it came to spending on cars, for example, uh, were the women. So the men might have forked over the checks, but it was the women who influenced the decisions of what kind of car they'd have at home. Yeah, I think big ticket items, typically, yes, you want the blessings of your other half. So that, I think, has a good argument there. Well, thank you very much. She's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. This is Your Money and stay tuned. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.